got a question for you. How well do you know your body? I don't mean what you see in the mirror. I'm talking about the things your body tells you every day, the little messages it sends you about your physical and mental health. Recently, I heard someone say that there's no such thing as a mind-body connection. Our brains are part of our bodies. It's one big system working together to keep each of us alive and functioning. But how do we tune into the alarm bells our bodies are ringing? What are those aches in your back, that persistent headache, or your clumsiness actually telling you about your overall well-being? I'm Tanya Mosley, and that's the subject we're taking on on this episode of Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. I really need your help. I need your help. I need your help. Our wise one this week is Resma Menakim. He's a therapist and author of several books, including My Grandmother's Hands and Rock the Boat, How to Use Conflict to Heal and Deepen Relationships. Resma helps people listen and act upon the messages our bodies are giving us. And during the course of our conversation, we got into another related subject, inherited trauma. You know, researchers have been able to pinpoint how the trauma of our ancestors is passed down through our DNA. And this trauma has a direct impact on our health. Hey, Resma, welcome to Truth Be Told. How are you? What I've been saying to people lately when they ask me how I'm doing, I've been actually telling people just how I'm sleeping mm-hmm. and how I'm eating. My eating is is starting to get back to where it was before Sister Brianna was murdered. My sleeping is still off and I'm still processing rage a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not, not as hot as I was, um, but I'm still processing it. Mm-hmm. So. I want to tell you how I'm doing. So what's weighing heavy on my mind is a conversation I just had with a good friend through text. Um, I texted him to see how he was doing. And he told me that his best friend is fighting for his life uh, in the hospital from COVID-19. His cousin just died. Two of his coworkers' moms died. And what I was just thinking about is it, is it even possible, even if we aren't directly Um, experiencing COVID-19 or direct attacks on our bodies? Is it it even possible for us to protect ourselves from the impacts of the trauma that we continue to feel in the midst of this pandemic? I was speaking to a friend of mine, and he said to me, you know, we're now dealing with COVID-19, but many of us, especially those that are descended from enslaved uh, Black people, have not gotten over sixteen nine the COVID sixteen nineteen mm-hmm. right and when he said that I had this impact in my belly right and to me the belly is kind of like the experience center right when he said that I was like you know from an embodied place the idea that COVID sixteen nineteen ha- has an effect on our literal body is something that I don't think we talk about enough that the weathering effects of enslavement and genocide and colonialism, the weathering effects literally weathers the nervous system, Hmm. literally weathers the brain architecture, literally weathers the cardiovascular system, right? And when you Hmm. you just said the piece around your friend, we don't have enough of a communal language to explain Hmm. 
what actually is happening to us, right? And so when COVID-19 hit, what it did was, was took advantage of a ground that had already been permeated by the ravaging effects of white supremacy and the ravaging effects of racialization. And and we have to begin to develop a communal language to talk about this stuff, Hmm. right? As opposed to thinking that we're just dealing with it individually. We're not. There is a global grief and a global horror and a global terror that black bodies are experiencing constantly. And things like Brother George Floyd and things like COVID-19 just remind us of how much we are actually dealing with day to day to day persistently. Right, right. How do you even begin to have that kind of level of conversation? I mean, you know, we're having it with each other because we're talking about the trauma that we're experiencing, but where does it go from there? Yeah. So what we have to do is talk about it and then get into the body communally, right? The the healing pieces, a lot of times we come up with these individual strategies, like I do yoga or, or I've started paleo or I've started these different types of things. But what happened to our people, sis, did not happen to us individually. What happened to our people happened to us communally. And we've lost some of those communal ways of moving through it. We haven't put the communal language around it. So when I'm doing workshops and doing embodied gatherings and different things like that, what I'm really doing is helping people begin to lean and work with the body. What shows up in the gut? What Mm. shows up in the feelings area? What shows up in the head? And not just genuflect to trying to think our way out of it, but actually beginning to what I say is get some reps in around tempering and conditioning our bodies to be able to withstand and hold the charge of race. Mm. Race has energy to it. It's one of the reasons why we don't want to talk about it. Because when, when we begin to talk about it, all of the grief, all of the historical, the intergenerational, the persistent institutional, and our own personal grief and trauma also show up at the same time. Oh, I it just I just came into consciousness. I'll say in the last five years or so, how um, of inherited trauma, which which you talk a lot about and you teach, but then also how racism impacts the body. It just wasn't something that I had considered, and so. When we've been talking forever about fibroids, for instance, in black women, and people have said, oh, you know, well, we don't really understand why black women, just about every black woman, you know, has fibroids. And it wasn't until I heard someone say, oh, yeah, that's a manifestation of a lot of things building in your body. One of the things that has come through my office really a lot lately is this fibroid thing. Black women did not have any stewardship over their bodies for 400 years. Think about that. For most of our existence on this land, the white body has had full and unfettered access to your body. And when I mean full and unfettered, I mean every idea, every orifice, every understanding, your children, your your lovers, your everything that was black. Yeah. The white body had full and unfettered access to it. It's now, why the Henrietta the Lack story is so profound to us. Absolutely. That Absolutely. you know her cellular data has been used you know so I mean? many times, but but what initially happened to her was the using of her body. You see what I mean? That's what I mean. And that using of of her body and black women's body creates a bracing. You can't fight and you can't flee. 
So there is a constriction that happens in the body, right? That is what I called a traumatic retention. So it's like this. The way that my mama taught me and the way that my dad taught me was not just by instruction. They also taught me by what they leaned into and what they recoiled from. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. So their nervous systems literally taught me, even if I didn't have a language for why they did what they did, I knew I need to pay attention to that. Right. Something just happened. She just pulled back. He just leaned in. You see what I mean? Oh, yeah. That piece is not because something was wrong with my parents, was because something was passed down from their mama's 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 daddy's 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 mama's mama's daddy, mm-hmm. right? And by the time they get it, it's all decontextualized. Yeah. And so when I get it, I don't have a context for it because they didn't have a context for it. So that weathering, right, in the body gets passed down as notion. And so do not talk to me about black people's health issues until we begin to account for the impact of racialization and white body supremacy, Mm. right? If you don't start with that as a notion for what is happening to our bodies, then whatever you come up with is going to be skewed. And explain white body supremacy as opposed to our understanding of white supremacy. What's the distinction? Sure. So when we talk about white supremacy, Many times we genuflect to the head, right? When I talk about white body supremacy, I'm starting with one rule. And I believe this rule, if we don't understand this rule, everything else will confuse us about this society. And that is the white body is the supreme standard by which all bodies humanity shall be measured. Mm -hmm. Hold that for a second. Hmm. Mm. The white body is the supreme standard by which all bodies' humanity shall be measured. That ain't a crazy rule I made. That's a structural rule they made. Yeah. Right? And that structural rule, when they took on that structural rule, what happened was is they wove that structural rule through every institution, through media, through education, through law, through economics, through military. And here's the thing. At the moment that white folks began to ensconce the idea that the white body was the standard of humanity, the moment that they began to ensconce that is that they also ensconced the notion of that there was an antithesis to the standard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? And we know, yes. And there were two groups that were the antithesis to that standard. The black body and the indigenous body. The indigenous body was rendered invisible and the black body was rendered non-human juxtaposed to the humanity of the white body, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're struggling with right now, yeah. right? And black people also ingested that. That's why all over the world, black dark people are putting on whitening creams. Mm-hmm. That's why we do those pieces. That's why we, Not we be- get relaxers. That's right. We diet until we're sick. That's right. That's right. That's right. And it ain't because something is defective in us. There's nothing wrong with you, sis. You are not defective. Something has happened and continues to happen to your people. What you're saying actually brings us to our dilemma this week. The question comes from Nia Ita. She's 30 years old, lives in New York, identifies as Dominican-American, and she's a survivor of childhood sexual assault. Nia says she grew up with a parent who was emotionally and sometimes physically abusive. 
And now she's trying to tap into how her body is exhibiting this trauma. I've always been known as that kid that was clumsy. And I never thought to connect it to my trauma or to the ways that I was actually disassociating from my body. And so that's a way that it definitely shows up. I'm not the most graceful person. Uh, I'm dropping things a lot. You know, I have a reputation for not being the most observant person. Like I'm, I'm book smart, you put a book in front of me, but if it's like in my environment, what's happening around me, I don't always see everything. And, I, and I've learned now that those are symptoms from body disassociation, the ways that we disassociate from our reality and from our body in order to protect ourselves. I never realized how not present I am in my body at times. My question would be, I have found practices for me that help. And so journaling is one of those practices. Yoga has been really, really helpful for me, learning how to be more present in my body. But I am always open to learning, like, what are other practices? And and I know that in different stages of my life, for whatever reason, should I not have access to writing? Should I not have access to yoga? I want to know what are these other practices that I can engage in to continue to kind of heal and realign my body with myself. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that, first off. Um, But Resma. That's powerful. Sister Nia, um, I want to say to you, that took a lot of a lot of courage to um, to really be that intimate. That was a very intimate thing you just did. That's um, right. And so, um, as as somebody like myself who also is a survivor of, of childhood sexual assault, I know what it's like to uh, disassociate yourself from your body, mm-hmm. right? To to not be present. And as Sis said, it is a protective mechanism. And here's one of the things I always want to say to particularly uh, black and brown bodies is that it is a protective measure, not a defective measure. It is not an indicator that you are defective. It is an indicator that things have happened and continue to happen and your body starts to protect itself whether your brain thinks it should or not. Right. Mm. And so and so one of the things that I that I think as I was listening to to sis talk is she said something that was really profound around the clumsiness stuff. Yeah. Or the the different types of things. I see that all the time, all the time. Really? Because what happens is there is an awareness. See, see, there is this thing called neural uh, um, neuroceptivity and it's, it's how your body moves in space. Right. But if something throws that equilibrium off, right, the things that you should be oriented to, you don't because you are dissociated from it mm-hmm. in the protective pieces. That's how you survived, right? That strategy of survival over time becomes decontextualized. Let me give you an example. Trauma in a person decontextualized can look like personality. Right. Yes. Trauma in a family decontextualized can look like family traits. Trauma in a people can look like culture. Say it again. Just say it again. (laughs) And I don't mean that because, you know, like what you're saying is so powerful, we kind of have to break it down and hear it twice. Yeah. So trauma over time 
becomes decontextualized if there is no reprieve, if there is no repair, right? So because you have you keep moving on, so it becomes decontextualized. And so what people a lot of times can tell you is about the trauma, but they can't tell you about what should have happened that didn't. Mm. Right. And that's the language piece. And so if me and you are walking down the street and something brutal happens to me, if you see me two weeks from now and I'm out in the streets and I'm acting crazy and I'm doing something a little off, you are likely to come up to me and you go, brother, Rasma, come here, yeah. come here, bruh, you need to get some help. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, that stuff that happened to you last week or a couple weeks ago, I really think it's affecting you. Right. So I will help you. Let's get you some help. I I can't stand to see you out here, right? As a loving person, you would do that, correct? Yep. What happens if you're my child and you didn't know what happened to me 20 years ago, but now I'm raising you and I'm recoiling from things and leaning into things that feel a little bit off, right? Now it's decontextualized, right? And now it looks like daddy just crazy. Yep. Yep. Right. And then over time, the family lore is you leave that boy alone, that boy a little off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And in the culture, it looks like these people is just running wild. No, something happened and continues to happen. And so what I say to that sister is this. Yoga is fine. Journaling is fine. I, I do this thing called soul scribing, where I have people write down what they're experiencing, but write it down in a particular way. When something happens to you, you don't just experience, like uh, Sister Nia, when she was talking, when that when the stuff happened to her, it just didn't happen in one domain. She experienced it in a vibratory sense. Yeah. She experienced it in an image and thought sense. She experienced it in a meaning-making sense. She experienced it in a behavior and urge sense. She experienced it in an affect and feeling sense. And she experienced in sensate sense, mm-hmm. what felt on her skin. All mm-hmm. of those things were happening. At the same time that that was happening, sis, she was experiencing the charge of it, the weight of it, the sensation of it, and the speed of it. All at the same time. That's why she couldn't be in her body when it was happening. That's why she had to dissociate. Yeah. It's a protective mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Well, when you practice that skill long enough, it becomes your go-to, right? right? And so the other skills don't get practiced. So when I tell people to to soul scribe, what I say is go slow, don't do anything big, and then go through those questions. What's the vibratory sense when you when you bring this up? What's the images and thoughts? Right. And you may get overwhelmed Mm. when that happens. And when that happens, stop. Get away from it. Don't run through it. Just leave it alone and then come back to it later. Get another rep in later. Get a little bit more and then leave it alone and go back. You see what I mean? And and, because so often what we do when we're dealing with trauma, whether it's whether it's historical or personal, what we do is we try and take on too much of it at the same time and it overwhelms us. Right. So I tell people to do soul scribing and then I tell them after you write down what you soul scribed, then go back and read it later. Mm, But not in that moment, but go back and read it later. Go back and read it later because you'll start stuff will start to stir and quake and then you write on that again. Right. And all of a sudden things start to unfold. Right. And you do it slow so you can begin to metabolize just pieces of it. What you're saying, though, sounds like it also would work when you don't even know what happened to you yet. You know, when you know something is wrong and you feel it and you know it in your body, 
sitting down to just take the temperature or the vibration that you mentioned, and then you can put the pieces back together again in a way that gives you clarity. Sometimes what happened, what we're experiencing in our body as something is off or something happened to me may not actually be ours. Oh, say more. It might actually be the one of the pass-throughs that never got resolved in your mama's 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 oh. mama's daddy. I'm about to cry at that. Mm. That's powerful, Resma. And you know why why it is also really powerful is because for so long, as black people in particular, we we say to each other all the time, like, we need to do better. We need to, all the ills in our community, we need to, to just basically pull ourselves up. Yeah. We do it to ourselves. It's not just yeah. white people who do it to That's us. Right. We've internalized it. And we also separate ourselves from our ancestors. Yes. It's like, this didn't yeah. happen to me. I'm starting anew. We kind of think of ourselves as like we're starting anew. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. This idea of reclaiming, sis, is so important. These pieces that show up that we know there's a notion of it, and we think, well, what happened to me? It might not be what happened to you. It might be what happened to your people because they never could get it healed and repaired. We had to keep moving. In thinking about Nia, you gave the advice of soul scribing. What are some other things that she can do? So soul scribing is one. The other one is reclaiming the hum, right? We were claiming the hum and reclaiming the touch, right? Sometimes, so if you notice earlier, I talked to you about, you know, what happens in the belly. So the belly is really the experience center of the body. The chest is the feeling center of the body. And the head is the thinking center, right? There's also in the hip area, there's a thing called the psoas muscle, Mm -hmm. right? The psoas muscle is actually a big fluid muscle that connects actually the top part of the body with the bottom part of the body, right? It comes out of the out of the spine and then it connects. One of the things that happens when you have experienced a lot of trauma or when your people have experienced a lot of trauma, that part of the body can really get stuck, mm. right? Think of the spine as kind of an electrical highway, right? So something may be happening to me down here near the hip area, but I'll be experiencing the bracing and the electrical current up in my neck and in my shoulders. So I keep going, man, why is my neck and why is my jaws and stuff like that and doing all that different type of stuff. But really what's happening is that my psoas is so tight that the electric the, the, is showing up up here or I'm having problems in my hips, but the issue is really up. In, uh, in the neck area, mm-hmm. right? And so one of the things that I have people do is just do little rocking back and forth, right? Just rocking back and forth in the hip area, just a little bit of rocking, right? It's just a wiggle, right? The other one is the pump, right? And the pump is, is just like that, 
right? Have people start to begin to just do that slowly and then stop and pause mm. and see what happens after the pause. Hmm. You know, we often see children do this too. That's right. Like it's a that's it's right. a way of comfort, comforting it themselves. It is. It is. That's because all of the things that block them from using their bodies ain't there. It's not there yet. Right. Yep. So there's a reclaiming. So the humming and the rocking and the pumping and the wiggling are things that we can begin to do. Now, imagine if we did that not only individually, but we scheduled time five minutes a day or five minutes in the week mm-hmm. or two minutes or 30 seconds to where I call you up, sis. I said, hey, let's just talk. And then we wiggled a little bit <laughs> and we pumped a little bit. And mm-hmm. I witnessed you and you witnessed me. Mm-hmm. Right. This is not verbal. Yep. Right. This is the body beginning to sense into resource. Right. And over time, what will happen is you'll notice you have more space available to you. And all of a sudden, your body will begin to recognize the resource that is there. Yeah. Right. But we haven't conditioned it yet. So what we do is we say, well, I'm going to do yoga. Well, I'm going to do this. Have you noticed that all of the practices that you used to be able to do that would give you all of this relief no longer give you the same type of relief since George Floyd got killed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because we're trying to do individual things that's dealing with the communal grief. Wow. It's true. I mean, Mm -hmm. do you know that I have not been able to run yeah. Since George Floyd, like yeah. I, I go out, yep. I, I've been walking and walking around, yep. but when I run, it just feels so heavy. And I'm yes. like, what's wrong with my body? Nothing, nothing. You're dealing with communal grief. Let me tell you, I was doing a thousand pushups a day. I had to bring that all the way down to 100. Mm. Right. Hmm. Because my body was fatigued. And I was like, what's wrong with me? I used to be able to do this and stuff like this. And then I realized, ah, that ain't what my body needs right now. I need to break all the way back down and then start with just the walking again. Just get my steps in again. Right. Right. Just the building back up. Just the building back up. Take it slow. So often we want to get back to where we were at. That's not acknowledging that something happened. Yeah. In many ways, What Nia has done with her individual trauma is she has done that hard work already because she has has acknowledged what has happened to her and she understands how it is impacting her body. That's exactly right. That's why I say what she did was really intimate, Mm -hmm. right? That was very intimate. Now what I would say for her is when it's safe to do so, find one person that she can wiggle with. Resma, this is a lifelong journey. This is life's work. Yeah. It is. But the beauty in it is that you learn so much about yourself in the process of transforming. But you have to get to the suffering's edge. You have to get to the repetitions. You have to get to the level of of being able to get some reps in and, and temper and condition your body to be able to withstand the charge that it takes to transform. Mm-hmm. Like many of us don't know yet know how to metabolize all of that stuff that's in our gut. Resma, thank you so much for this conversation. You're very thank welcome. You it's my pleasure. Joining us. I, I just, I really thank you for inviting me on. That was author and therapist Resma Menikem talking about inherited trauma and what our bodies are trying to tell us about our health and how to work through it all. His latest book is My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. 
truth be told, as all of you know, is about you. So if there's a personal dilemma or question you've been grappling with, let us find a wise one to help. Leave us a voicemail at 415-553-2802 or email us at truthbetold at kqed.org. Truth Be Told is produced by Susie Racho, Issa Mendoza, and Katie McMurrin. KQED's leadership team includes Erica Aguilar, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. A big thanks to Kiana Mogadam. Truth Be Told is a production of KQED in San Francisco. I'm Tanya Mosley. <laughs>